forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. The Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Good morning. It is a blessing to be together this Lord's Day. We are thankful for the presence of each and every one here. It is a beautiful day that we are so glad that we have been provided and blessed with through God and His providential care for us. We're thankful for each and every one that is here this morning and those uh, that have made the commitment to come and worship God. We're thankful for you today. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, he begins talking about how there are some who do not always believe the gospel. How there are some who just refuse to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he makes an appeal to those people that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. Throughout the book of Romans, he has been making that point. And in Romans chapter 10 and in verse 9, he says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And he goes on to talk about how faith in Christ and a faith that is willing to obey the Lord through confession and baptism, those kinds of things. He talks about how that is how we call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And so he says in verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things from that passage that we just read in Isaiah chapter 52. And then Paul goes on, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He continues in verse 18, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Isaiah did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And Paul is making a very complex kind of argument there that has several layers that would take us a while to kind of work through. But what he is doing in just a bare essence summary is that he is trying to show that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for Jew and Gentile. And he appeals to Isaiah. that Isaiah has laid the foundation. Isaiah has laid groundwork for believing that Jesus is our Lord and our Christ. And he says Isaiah talked about this preaching of good news, of glad tidings that brings joy. 
the good news of salvation through the Messiah. And so if you would turn to the book of Isaiah, we're pretty much going to be camped out in Isaiah for most of our time this morning. And so if you would turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet in the 8th century B.C. And he preached to several of the kings in Judah. And he was someone who warned of the king's disobedience and how that was going to bring devastation to the nation. And so Isaiah is tasked with a very difficult job to confront those who are proud, those who are sinful, those who are wicked, and to remind them that God is the one who has ultimate power and authority and that if those kings will not submit to God and His will, then they will be punished. Isaiah also gives a glimpse of God's work through the Messiah and what God plans to accomplish through the Messiah and how He would reign in the kingdom of God. And as we see in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, Isaiah says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. In verse 10, Isaiah in his very message, the Lord has bared His holy arm in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Isaiah is the one who is honored and privileged to be proclaiming good news of salvation to the people of Israel. His day. That even though there is great wickedness, he gets to offer hope and grace and mercy. So let's look at what Isaiah has to say that can help us understand the essence of the gospel, really. As we have dedicated this year to be a study of the gospel and really what it is about and how the gospel is for all people. Isaiah gives us some very important things that we need to recognize as essential to the gospel that we need to understand and recognize and believe and confess and affirm in our understanding of what the gospel is. And you can see that Isaiah, he talks about how Israel had sinned against the Holy One of Israel that they had turned against God. And that is where Isaiah begins his message in Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah the first chapter, he opens nearly at the very beginning of this in verse 4, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. That Isaiah, he shows that the nation of Israel, they have turned away from God. They are not doing what God says. They are acting disobedient. They are corrupt. They have despised God. And one of Isaiah's favorite descriptions of the Lord is he is called the Holy One of Israel throughout the book of Isaiah. Such a wonderful description of God. The Holy One. And he says, we have acted corruptly. That we are a sinful nation. 
and God's holiness. As Isaiah continues to think about that, he says in Isaiah chapter 5 and in verse 16, But the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment, and the holy God will show Himself holy in righteousness. That God will show Himself holy in His righteousness. That's something that Isaiah is making very distinct here, that God's holiness is evident. We're going to see God's holiness in His righteousness. In the things that He does that are right and in, in how He behaves. And what you continue as you read on in Isaiah chapter 5, you will see that He also shows in verse 16 that this whole idea of God's righteousness is evident in God's judgment. He says there at the beginning of verse 16, but the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment. He will be exalted in His judgment because His judgment is based on what is right and what is good. In verse 20, He is talking about Israel and how they have turned everything upside down. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. In verse 24, Therefore as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord and despised the words of the Holy One of Israel. They have despised God. They have despised His Word. Everything that God said was good and right, they have disdained. They have disowned. And they have turned it all upside down. The things that God says are good, they say are bad. The things that God says are bad, they say are good. Does that sound like our society and our world today? It sure does. And so he says in verse 25, On this account the anger of the Lord has burned against His people, and He has stretched out His hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked, and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets, for all his anger is not spent, but his hand is still stretched out. That even in spite of their wickedness, God has not completely gotten rid of them. And his hand is still outstretched. He still wants to bring them back home. He still wants to accept them. In Isaiah chapter 41, Isaiah picks up on that theme a little bit more. And he begins to talk about God's hand that is outstretched. In verse 13 of Isaiah chapter 41, he says, For I am the Lord your God, who upholds your right hand, who says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. That God... He is pledging to help them. His hand is outstretched so that He offers grace and mercy to His people despite their sin. Israel is guilty. That is Isaiah's message. They have offended and turned against the Holy One of Israel. God has grown 
angry with them and He is going to judge them. But He is not writing them off completely. God promised to hold up their right hand. God promised to always protect them. God promised to be their Redeemer. So how is God going to accomplish that? That's where Isaiah begins to really help us, I think, understand the fullness of this message. That God promises salvation. God promises redemption. God promises grace and mercy to be extended. But how will He accomplish this? How does God extend grace and mercy to His people? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves and that's what we will hopefully understand by the time that we are finished with our study this morning. That God's faithfulness is given to the house of David. That is going to be critical for bringing this salvation and extending His mercy. Is It's going to begin with the house of David. If you would, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah the 7th chapter. In Isaiah chapter 7, the opening of this chapter, Isaiah comes to King Ahaz. And Ahaz is a wicked king in Judah. He is from the house of David. He is someone who is dealing with a a threat for his people. This is before the destruction of the nation of Israel, the ten tribes, the ten northern tribes. And Damascus and Syria is beginning to apply a lot of pressure in Israel and for Judah. Isaiah told Ahaz not to fear this threat. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 1, Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, The Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Ahaz was told that you will not be conquered. You will be victorious. You will not have to deal with this threat. This threat is not is going to be nothing for you. And yet, he was still very fearful. In verse 9, in verse 9 you see that in, he was told that the head of Ephraim is Samaria and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. Isaiah is warning that if he does not believe, in God, if he does not trust in God's promise here, then his reign would be lost. Ahaz did not believe, sadly. He tried to form an alliance with another enemy, with Assyria. He formed this alliance to protect Jerusalem. And Assyria went in and defeated Syria's king. Assyria would come in and defeat Israel as well. So Ahaz got what he wanted, just not in the right way. And so that is all the background to what's going on here. 
And it says in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Remember, Ahaz has already proven he is doubtful of God's promises. And Isaiah comes to him and says, you can ask anything that you want. You can ask God anything. A sign. Whatever will help you believe, Ahaz, here's your opportunity. Have you ever kind of wanted that moment in your life like where you may have been wrestling with some doubts and you thought, man, if I could just get one request that I could ask God anything and if then I would know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt. Ahaz has given that opportunity. And he says, no, I'm not going to bother God. He feigns humility and he says, I'm not going to ask God. I'm not going to test God. And he is feigning humility. He rejects this opportunity. He pretends that he can never ask such a thing from the Lord. But his own words condemn him because while feigning humility in order to appear righteous, he is testing God. Because God said, here, do this. He is again refusing God's promises. And so Isaiah tells him in verse 13, okay, you're not going to ask for a sign. Here's your sign. <laughs> then he said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We know that Matthew shows us that this is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 23, Matthew quotes from this passage in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, talking about how Jesus fulfills this passage of Scripture. With the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, born to Mary, a virgin, that He is the fulfillment of what God was promising. The child's name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the book of 1 Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 8, this is when Solomon is dedicating the temple. And in 1 Kings chapter 8 and in verse 57, he uses the same word that is Emmanuel. And in 1 Kings chapter 8 and in verse 57, he says as he is dedicating the, 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 the temple and he's praying God's blessings, he says, May the Lord our God be with us. God be with us. As He was with our fathers, may He not leave us or forsake us. You find that interesting, or at least I do, that here the idea of God's presence with Israel. And Solomon wants that. And whenever you continue to think about Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy, 
in the book of John, in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1 and in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He continues on in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That here is Emmanuel, in, according to John. He's the Word. He's the Logos. He is God and He became flesh. And then He uses that word that He dwelt among us. That is, that He tabernacled among us. He existed. He lived. He is the embodiment of everything that was associated with God's presence in Israel. Back in the Old Testament, that was manifested through the temple. Now it's manifested through Jesus. God with us. And He would be poor. In Isaiah chapter 7, and in verse 15, He says, He will eat curds and honey at the time He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. It's the food of someone who's poor. Who's not getting to eat the fattened calf. Someone who is eating just grain and cereal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul describes Jesus and His tremendous sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. What Isaiah is laying here for us in this foundation that he's building upon is that there is a sign that God's people need to be waiting for and expecting that ultimately Jesus Christ fulfills. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah that is predicted here. That is going to be given to the house of David. And we're going to talk about the implications of what that means in just a moment. But this sign in Isaiah chapter 7 was given. And in verse 17, it says, The Lord will bring on you. This is Isaiah's message to Ahaz. The Lord will bring on you, on your people and on your father's house, such days as have never come since the day that Ephraim separated from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is in the remotest part of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. He's saying because of your pride, because of your vanity, because of your alliance with Assyria, that you trusted in yourself your own plans. You did not trust in what God said. You did not relish this opportunity that God was providing you with to have a sign. No, Ahaz, you're going to be destroyed. Assyria is going to come in. In chapter 8, in chapter 8, Isaiah talks about this even more. In verse 7, Now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. Then it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck, and the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Here you see... Ahaz 
because of his rejection of this sign, there's going to be punishment that comes. There's going to be a punishment that comes as a result of his rejection of God's Word. And the sign is there very critical. It's very important. That a virgin is going to give birth to a son. His name will be Emmanuel. He's going to be God, God's presence, God's grace, and God's mercy. He's going to be the embodiment of it. That God is going to Himself come and be with us. And it's something that is very humbling. But you think about the implications of that. That God was telling Ahaz in the house of David that there's going to be a son that is born to you. There's going to be a child that is born and that child, Emmanuel, will become king. In Isaiah chapter 9, just a couple chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9 and in verse 6, Isaiah continues to talk about that child, Emmanuel. He says in verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Such powerful words that after the, in the aftermath of Ahaz's rejection and the promise of an Assyrian destruction, and Assyria would eventually evade, invade Judah, and Judah would be scattered. Jerusalem was protected, but they still felt the devastation because of Ahaz's alliance and trust with a political figure rather than trust in God Almighty. Isaiah promises that the child that is born will establish peace and justice. And he is going to act righteously. And that his government, his kingdom, and sitting on the throne, of he's going to be a king that's like David. He's not going to be one who turns against God. He's going to be someone that is like God. He's going to be the perfect lawgiver, the wonderful counselor who reveals God's counsel, reveals God's law. He upholds it. He believes it. He's going to be the mighty God because He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And He is going to deliver Israel from the sins and the unrighteousness that they have committed. He's going to be the anti-Ahaz, if you will. He's the eternal Father. You might kind of scratch your head. How is Jesus going to be a Father? Well, in Isaiah chapter 22, we learn that how Isaiah is using the term father here. It's not about someone who is giving or you know, involved in the birth process or uh, con- conception. But in Isaiah chapter 22, he's talking about that as how we might call 
like our founding fathers, if you will. In Isaiah chapter 22, and in verse 20, it's talking about this man named Eliakim, who is a servant of God, who is going to be appointed to rule and is given some authority in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 20, Then it will come about that day that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your tunic and tie your sash securely about him. I will entrust him with your authority and he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That This is their leader. This is their leader. Jesus is going to become king. Emmanuel becomes king. He is the Prince of Peace, the one who establishes peace with God. As the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, in Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2, he's talking about Christ and the result of faith in Him and the Gospel. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. There is peace with God because Emmanuel sits on the throne. He becomes king. You just stop and you pause right there and you think about what Isaiah has said. And he has said a lot, hasn't he? He has said a great deal. He has talked about how Israel has offended God. And he has also said, God is not going to utterly destroy you. He's going to save you. And then he says, for those who disbelieve, there's punishment. But there's salvation in this sign. There's hope of one who is going to come, who is going to take the throne, and He's going to rule, He's going to establish peace with God, He's going to establish righteousness, salvation and justification, comes through Emmanuel, which we believe and we see Jesus fulfills. But how that actually comes about is very interesting. And Isaiah gives us a very interesting glimpse into this. As you might turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. In verse 1. The words that Paul quoted in Romans chapter 10. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon Him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. And that is following on the heels of chapter 52 where God's servant, the Messiah, is exalted. We're going to come back to that. But he says that he's going to be exalted. He's going to reign as king as Isaiah has prophesied about. But there's nothing going to look especially kingly about him. You remember when the children of Israel, they appointed King Saul 
And they recognized him. He was described as being taller than everyone, head and shoulders above everyone in Israel. He looked like a king. He looked like someone, hey, that's our guy. That's our leader. We'll, we can follow him. But in God's Messiah, God's servant, He's not going to just look especially like a king. In verse 3, He describes that even further. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, He was despised, and we did not esteem Him. Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The suffering of God's servant, the Messiah, who would be beaten and scourged for us, for our transgressions, for the wrongdoing and sins He suffered. Even though we deserve punishment, He's taken it away. In verse 10, But the Lord was pleased to crush Him, putting Him to grief. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, we will see His offspring, we will prolong His days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Think about why God's servant, the Messiah, was willing to go to the cross to offer Himself as the guilt offering for sin. And what can be missed throughout all of this is... Not the reason. We understand the reason. We understand the brutality of what happened and what the Messiah was willing to go through. But as you continue reading in verse 12, Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. What can be missed is the promise of the Messiah's victory. Christ's exaltation. How Christ would conquer and defeat the enemy. And He has given the spoils of war. And that takes us back to chapter 52. And what Isaiah Pictures in verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many people were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred 
more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. What you begin to see here is that Isaiah is talking about the exaltation of the servant who is going to be marred, who is going to be affected by the beating that he took for you and for me. God's solution to the problem of sin was to offer Himself. That is what Isaiah is trying to present to us here. As we come to understand the fullness of what Isaiah was talking about, he was talking about Jesus, of course. And as Peter makes abundantly clear in 1 Peter chapter 2, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he uses Isaiah's terminology. He uses Isaiah 53 as the point of which he is speaking. In Isaiah or 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 21, he talks about how we have been called to follow after Christ and his example. In verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Quoting from this passage. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. That Christ is the one who offered Himself that we could have life. Jesus went to the cross as we have reflected and remembered in the Lord's Supper. And as we partake of His body and drink of His blood, we are called to think about Jesus as the one who suffered and died and went through all of that because of our sins for the sins of the whole world. Because of His faithfulness, because He was obedient to the point of death, God highly exalted Him and has seated Him at the right hand of God. And Isaiah, he gets to preach this message of hope and salvation. Isaiah preaches the message of salvation because of God's grace. Even though sin alienates people from God, even though God in His holiness will punish, the Gospel is a story of salvation and forgiveness. You would turn back to Isaiah chapter 52 where we began looking at Isaiah's message. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. Emmanuel, God with us, reigns. Isaiah was preaching good news of salvation. He preached that God's Messiah, God's servant, would rule with all authority. 
that He would bring salvation to the ends of the earth, as He says in verse 10. And as you continue to read throughout the Bible, we know that this is a reflection of what the Gospel is all about. Turning back to the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of an ass is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is describing the condition of someone who is in sin. How there is no salvation. There is no hope that they have. But He gives hope because of Jesus. He says in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. What you see here just in quick fashion in the book of Romans is that all have sinned. And there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is salvation through Jesus Christ. Isaiah gives us a sneak peek of that story. Isaiah shows us the Gospel in a very broad way. And He gives us a message of confidence. A message of hope that God will forgive you. God will extend mercy and grace. Even when we have sinned against Him. If we will repent and come back to Him. This morning, if you're not a child of God, We want you to become a Christian. If you are lost in sin, we want you to do what is right. We want to encourage you to do what is right. But more importantly, the Lord wants you to do what is right. He wants to save you. He wants to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness. And He has shown that by sending His only begotten Son to suffer and die, to be humiliated in pain and agony and death. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. This morning, if you are not yet a Christian, don't let Jesus' death have been in vain. Come to the cross. Kneel before Him and submit to Him, repenting of your sin being baptized in water to have your sins washed away and be added to the Lord's church.
Maybe it is that you have made that commitment to following Jesus, but you've not been living faithfully. We want to encourage you to come back. God is wanting to extend grace and mercy, and He is just to forgive you if you will come back to Him. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?